Find Your Faith with the Find Your Faith podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Find Your Feed podcast. I'm obviously Hanny Alston and I'm here today to deliver a really interesting conversation with a good friend of mine, Ruth Wilson. Ruth and I met when I moved back to Tasmania in 2014 and she was on a really remarkable running curve. She'd gone from being someone who just did a bit of running to keep fit, having never loved running in her youth, to someone who was performing on the national stage. And a few years later in 2016, she won the Canberra Marathon in 2 hours 46 minutes. Quite an incredible journey. But the secret silent demon in Ruth's life was a struggle with body image issues and to be honest, uh, eating disorders as well. Ruth has become very open about this after she had two stress fracture incidences in 2017, which drew her to a halt. And it was these incidences with the stress fractures that put her back on a healing pathway. In her words, she says, I truly believe that if I had not had these injuries, then I would not have been able to make the changes needed to heal my body and to get my menstrual cycles back. And for that, I am extremely grateful. And now she claims that there is obviously so much more to running than just the numbers. And that is exactly why I wanted to have this conversation because I too am coming back from an injury this summer, a uh, bone, bone bruise in the sesamoid region of my big toe on my left foot. And it came from just, to be honest, doing too much for too long and expecting far too much of my body. For me, this summer has been an extraordinary journey into, I guess, an understanding of myself and realizing that I needed to go back yet again and work on my foundations to who Hanny is when she's not a runner, when she's not an award-winning businesswoman, when she's not out on running tours, running all over the world, who is Hanny? And um, to be honest, that question is way harder to answer than we think. So if you're listening in today, all I really want you to take away from it is the importance of being wilder and really digging deep and understanding ourselves and the things that empower us. Then I want you to turn your attention to playing wilder. What do you love? Not what your friend loves, not what you were brought up doing. What do you really love? And then strive to perform wilder, to master something to excel at something and give yourself the rewards for the hard effort that goes into it. So be wilder, play wilder, perform wilder. And I really hope that you can hear this um, message resonating through this conversation with Ruth Wilson. And just before we delve into the podcast, I just want to uh, let you all know that our 2020 Find Your Feet Running Tours are filling up quickly. Uh, we've already sold out our trip to Hokkaido in Japan and Freysene. So if you'd like to come and join us and to learn more about being wilder, playing wilder and performing wilder while running through extraordinary landscapes, we would love to have you. So jump across to my website, www.findyourfeettours.com.au. Furthermore, if you are willing to, or you need a bit of gear, you need something for your playing and performing wilder ambitions, then uh, we would love to help you at Find Your Feet. And it's the team there at Find Your Feet who are allowing me to take a bit of a step back and continue to deliver these free podcasts and resources for you. 
So if you would need anything for all your wild adventures, head to findyourfeet.com.au. There's also plenty of resources on my own website, from my trail running guidebook to free training planners, and I'm also reopening my books to some consulting and coaching again. So if you need a hand, head to my website, www.hannyalston.com.au. All right, we are ready to start this podcast with Ruth. I hope you absolutely love her as much as I do. I I guess like the reason why I would love to have the conversation today is because I've been really I guess like as a friend I've just been watching your like journey back from injury and um and then having just got injured myself this summer and for like I've had four months away from running which started as something that I thought I'd just get better within a few days and then it was a week and then you realize soon it's a month and it's been such a huge journey for me coming back from it and um and so I kind of felt like for ages I've been wanting to to talk about the injury and what I I guess the journey that I went on not physically getting back but almost more a mental emotional one which I think yeah am I right in saying yeah. that you would agree with yeah definitely that's definitely yeah. been the major component the physical stuff just takes care of itself but yeah and I remember we went for that I think it was the last jog that we had which was we're not very good are we we seem <laughs> to go months <laughs> months between jobs yeah. together but we were talking about like you know your I guess your return to running and um and everything that you learned and I I knew I wanted to have that conversation but I guess when I had the injury I was like I really want to learn from you and learn more about I guess what what you actually did to get back from your injury and also what the injury was for the people listening. Um, So I was doing some homework (laughs) today and I came across this quote out of your blog, one of your blogs. And it was that I truly believe that if I had not had the injury, then I would not have been able to make the changes I needed to heal my body and to get your menstrual cycles back. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. And then you went on to also say, there is so much more to running than just the numbers. So um, maybe to like, I guess, begin the conversation together, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what running was to you before you got injured and sort of why you got into it and, yeah. and fell in love with it. Uh, yeah, okay. So I didn't, I was never a runner when I was younger. I didn't really start running until I was, at uni and it was sort of just a way to just started as a way to sort of build a bit of fitness for other sports so I was playing soccer and that sort of stuff and just at uni and it was hard to get to the gym I just wanted to get a bit fitter lose a bit of weight and I don't know from there I sort of I never ever thought of myself as a runner and for years even years when I was doing a lot more running um so when, yeah, I did my first fun run in my last year of uni. I ran like a 4K fun run. And I was like pretty proud of myself because 4K sounded like a long way to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then from there, I just sort of built up. I started running. I was running with friends when I came back to Tassie after I finished uni. 
one of my friends and I decided we'd do the Bernie 10 and that was like our big goal race. So I spent most of that year building up to be able to run 10Ks, which was pretty cool. And when I got, I managed to smash that goal and I did like 55 minutes or something. It was pretty exciting. (laughs) And then, yeah, the next year it was, okay, let's see if we can do it again and go a bit faster. So I did a few more, like a a 7K, the city casino and just started building fun runs from there. I was still sort of more as fitness stuff, playing soccer and doing other gym stuff. Um, so what drove you, like what drove you through that time? Like what was the motivation? Was it more like curiosity of where it could go? Was it the friendship? A bit of everything? A bit, it was a bit of everything. It was a lot of, oh, let's see if I can improve on this and get better and a lot of it was sort of, I don't know, sort of was at the road going down like this weight loss path as well at the same time with this diet and everything. And it was sort of the running was sort of supplementing that as well. But then it was sort of this curiosity. I could see myself, like my times improving and getting faster and running was becoming easier. Like I actually was enjoying it. And so then I guess it sort of just progressed from there to see how far I could go or how fast I could go. And yeah. Yeah, I think from That's, there. That immediately, like, and maybe this is why we've connected as friends as well, but um, what you say about not identifying yourself as a runner is exactly the experience that I had. And I don't even know... I don't even know when I crossed that threshold to being like, I don't, yeah, to being like I'm a runner. But even after I won my um, my world title in orienteering, and obviously classically it's a running sport, and I was training with runners and I was yeah. doing the running stuff, um, I still didn't see myself like that. And um, it really it was probably only more, more recently that I think I picked up that identity. So... When did you do you think you ever crossed the threshold um, and saw yourself as a runner? Yeah, definitely. I it, but it took until like I'd run my first marathon before I started training with my coach. Like, I kind of got to that point where oh, I'm maybe I'm actually good at this. And mm. when I ran my first marathon, I had no idea what I was doing really, but actually. And I didn't know what was a good time or anything like that. But I came back and someone said to me, you know, that's pretty good. Like, Was that the 3 hour 15-ish yeah. one? Yeah. yeah. Which which marathon um, was it? Ran at Melbourne. Yeah. 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 That's really quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so after that, I thought, oh, well, where am I going to go now? And I was – so I ended up um, contacting Pete, my um, – strength like my personal trainer who I've been working with for years he actually given me Pete's number and email address about like a year before that saying you should really work with a running coach because I don't really know like he was helping me a little bit with my programs and what I should be doing for certain races but he's like I don't really know that specific anyway I sort of went oh nah I don't know I don't know if I'm <laughs> if I'm really a runner if I really could work with a coach they probably wouldn't probably not that good so I finally ended up contacting him and then even up probably after I ran my first marathon with him like trained for that that's probably when I started to go okay I am a runner and then 
from there we sort of him and there was a few others and they were just like no you're not just a runner you're sort of like an elite level runner and I was like nah I, and for years like even when I was like on the start lines getting like elite starts and standing at the front and I still sort of felt oh I'm not sure not until probably my last marathon that I ran before I got injured that's when I sort of really went okay yeah I am I am an elite level yeah. runner and really actually had that belief yeah that's so interesting it is such a parallel it is such a parallel I just remember standing on the start line in Melbourne um which is probably my the peak of my marathoning and not feeling like I belonged there and I'd always stand like a couple of steps back or a couple of meters back behind the girls um I didn't want to wear the sort of clothing that they wore because like that's for runners like I just I, you know even when it came down to like using gels and the sports nutrition I was like oh well I'm not a runner <laughs> like that's for them but it, but I think it's a double-edged sword that identity isn't it I mean did you find that when you did or did you first of all did you find there were limiting it was limiting your performance when you weren't seeing yourself as a runner or do you think it kind of allowed you to have more the underdog mentality? Yeah, I think probably the latter. I think I probably didn't have that much. I always put a bit of pressure on myself to sort of do better, but I wasn't sort of competing with anyone else. It was just yeah, right with yeah. me. But yeah, and when I sort of, I don't know, it was a bit of both really. Yeah, okay. Once I sort of had that belief of, like that I was runner, then I was like, okay, yep. I'm good, I can do this. I know mm-hmm. that I can beat this person or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, but... So was there a danger that came when you crossed the threshold and, like, had that identity of a runner wrapped up there as well? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, I think there was a lot of pressure. I mean, there was pressure before, but then there was the outside pressure as well of feeling like I had to prove myself Yeah. to everyone else. I had to perform. Everyone had these expectations that oh, you're the favourite in this race or you're going to place in this place or to do better, especially like certain, like certain particular races, especially at home. Mm. Yeah, that was definitely something that I know and I know that that expectation, maybe it wasn't there, maybe it was, but it was all in like from me, coming from me, putting that pressure on. Yeah. So it was... That's pretty... That's pretty bold to say that. I mean, it, you're right, but there is there is an element of pressure that comes when you reach a certain level of performance, and in some ways, like it, it feels amazing because they you might suddenly be asked to fly to here and to have your accommodation paid and to enter this race, and it's kind of like it feels kind of good, but at the same time, you know that you're then it's like a job suddenly like you need to step up and perform is that what you were feeling as well yeah 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 Yeah. but then you also there is that internal pressure that comes from like knowing you know knowing that you can be good and that you can lean into the discomfort and perform but there's also a fear there as well (laughs) like what happens if you don't or what happens if you do yeah so I was because I actually did have down like you know for you where did pressure come from and and I actually wrote it more about 
sort of more in your youth time. So do you mind like if we go back a bit to sure. tell me a little bit about um about how you grew up? Like so where and the family dynamics and the school dynamics. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Hobart, uh born and bred. <laughs> um I have two younger sisters and I think I guess being the older sister you sort of are the leader, I guess, but Yeah. I don't know. I suppose there was always this always this pressure that I felt to be like the top top student, be the best at everything. Like and a lot of that came because I sort of had poor body image. I was always a little bit overweight when I was younger, but we were always sort of praised if we got like got A's at or performed well in school and all that sort of thing. But I was always one of those got to do everything <laughs> involved in like like school sports, band, choir, all that sort of stuff. Art, art lessons, music lessons, three or four different sports teams and just trying to get – and also doing, like, top level of everything and trying to be straight-A student, avoiding taking sick days as much as possible. <laughs> I think I always remember growing up hearing mum talk about, oh, when I went through high school, I didn't take a single day off and sick and got this special certificate at the end of the year. So I was like, okay, right, so I've got to not do that. And yeah. I saw was also like, because I didn't feel like I was well, particularly pretty or good looking or anything like that, or athletic, like even though I played a lot of sports, I was like, oh, I'm not a runner. I can't run. And I hated, ironically, I hated cross country and athletics carnivals. <laughs> Me too. And, yeah. and now I do them for fun. <laughs> Sorry, that's crazy. But yeah, I guess. There was always that I have to be better at everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, I can't remember who who wrote it, but um, a saying that as the type A achiever brain, um, when people said you can do anything, <laughs> all you hear is you have to do everything. Like, and that's exactly the way my brain also <laughs> perceived life at school and um, growing up was. To not necessarily do everything, but I had to do everything to a really high level. Yeah. I think for me, it definitely stemmed from an element of me. Like, I'm sure, like, a genetic part of me (laughs) that's just driven and motivated. But I think that parents had a huge impact on on us growing up. And a bit the same, like, um, maybe sometimes, like, then there there was a little distance we grew up on a farm and they were busy with their you know career and the farm and there was a distance and so sometimes I think I worked out that when I performed or achieved then you'd get a little bit of like them like recognition time back again and um and I kind of seemed to thrive a little bit on that (laughs) which is I think a dangerous thing to always need success to feel love maybe that was the connection I my brain was making and I'm sure it's probably hard for them to hear that and and they wouldn't have ever meant it but it was just the sort of brain that I had that um connected those two dots so yeah I was curious to know a little bit about like um yeah that family dynamic did you did you notice anything like that as well yeah uh yeah I think 
Well, my mum was a teacher, and so she taught at the same high school that I went to. So I guess that was all the a bit of pressure. I guess that was partly because all the teachers knew who I was. So if any, if I messed up, you know, they'd go straight. (laughs) My mum would know. But also, if we did really well, I guess mum also had that school yeah mentality of like high achieving and she really sort of placed it and I don't I know that she just meant that as for us to do well she just wanted us to do well but yeah. and it wasn't like if you don't do well you, yes exactly not, we don't love you but it was like it was, one the best for you yeah 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 so what's been her and your father's reaction to like your running career like how have they have they like loved being a part of that or is it, have they sort of left you to it? Um, they've always been really supportive because obviously I was living at home when I came back from LA when I first started doing running. So they would like, a few of the times they'd sort of like drop me off or pick me up and be really excited for me and they'd always support me with that. Um, they'd get up, dad would usually come up when like, I think have reason we'd be getting up at like 5am to get there at six o'clock for six thirty race or whatever and going up in this in the cold mornings and they'd be there at the finish line so they really they really have been like completely supportive of it um for mum also sort of I remember I used to always get really really nervous and I'd be like almost in tears I remember one race because I was like oh, I don't think I'm gonna do very well don't think I'm going to be able to run faster than I did last year and I was almost in tears and I was like you know you don't have to do this if it's really yeah. making you that nervous it's like you're supposed to be able to enjoy this so they've always wanted me to have that enjoyment out of it as well rather that's than so putting that all that pressure on yeah, yeah that's so important isn't it and and are they sporty at all like did is that like sense of support and understanding about like it's got to be fun it's got to be enjoyable is that coming from there yeah mum play used to play hockey at school so she's always like been oh you've got like supportive and sports is important part of school and that sort of stuff and always encouraged us to do that sort of thing and they also used to do a lot of hiking before Mm -hmm. they had us kids (laughs) Yeah, so they haven't done so much now. Dad's getting back into it now, which is great. So nice. sort of doing some family little day walks and stuff. It's really fun. But, yeah, so they've always had that active sort of yeah. stuff going. So talk me then about the, um, the injury. Was it 2017 that you started to experience the injuries? or? Uh, so my first injury, I had a stress fracture in my sacrum and that was July 2016 it was just after um Gold Coast half marathon where it was this it was the national half marathon championships Mm -hmm. and I think it was about a week after that probably at that time actually if I look back probably during that race I was like felt terrible and I had like I felt like my hip flexor or my hemi, like I just couldn't get any drive out of my leg. And then a week later I was on call for work as well. And I was like, really, I came back from that race and I was super tired. Like I had the Monday off, I just couldn't go for a run after we got back. 
And Pete's like, look, just take time. And then I was like, two days later, I was like, no, no, I'm ready to go because I just didn't want to. We had this program set out and I was like, I don't want to miss any of it. Mm. And we went for our long run on the Sunday and I started feeling like a just a pain in my glute. And I thought, oh, it's just tight. I'll just stretch it. And the next day I went for a run. I was I slept, missed my morning run, which isn't like me at all, and went for a run at lunchtime. And I, by the time I got to the end of my run, I could barely <laughs> barely walk. So I had to wow. hobble back, hobbled back to work, and I was like, oh no, it's fine. And I said to Pete, I think my SI joints out because my pelvis would always like yeah. slip out for ages. And usually I didn't really notice it that much. And I was like, oh, I think it's out. So got Pete to give me a massage that night and then he's like oh is it any better and I was like went and did a session on the bike and it was still quite painful so sort of for a week we were sort of like resting and then trialing I think I went for a run with him the next day I did about 8k's and I was like oh no it's okay and <laughs> tried to run for about a week and finally I had an appointment with the physio and he's like oh I don't know it could be sacroiliitis it could be could be a stress fracture I think we should probably get an MRI scan and luckily enough for me that's where I work so um, my boss actually scanned me after work and she's like oh she sort of didn't say anything she's and I didn't look at the pictures he goes oh I don't know but the next I sort of had a look and there was like this massive crack through my sacrum and I was like ah okay (laughs) and so that was devastating I think I cried for about a week (laughs) After I got told about that and I told so, them I couldn't run. Yeah, so what? where did the emotion come from? Is it Was it literally not being able to do what you love or was it a fear about not being able to run and what would happen if you couldn't run? Or? Yeah, I think a lot of it was sort of because I couldn't run I would, and then I was, it was also this massive fear that, shit, I can't run for however long I'm going to go backwards and I had all these goals that I was going to do. I was like, I was going to get this. And then I was like, wow, I'm going to get so unfit. And then I, then I was also this fear because I was in this, like, if I can't exercise, then what am I going to do? Cause I can't balance out what I'm eating. Mm-hmm. So I think at that time I was still, didn't think I had a problem with food, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I can hear. <clears throat> I can hear it. I can totally empathise with it. <laughs> I think it's so it's so easy to for it just to sneak up on you, isn't it? Like not realise that um, you haven't really confronted that shadow that's walking behind you. And um, I've actually just finished writing my my memoir draft. It's sitting on the <laughs> on the table there. Um, and it wasn't until I actually started writing about it and putting it all down that I realised it was it was kind of like always having this best trusty best friend, trusted best friend, walking next to you, kind of whispering advice in your ear. And um, and this sort of fear of like, what would happen if you didn't listen to it, but also what what it would be like if you didn't have that friend next to you and that loss of it, like 
identity and companionship that almost an eating disorder can can throw at you um so as soon as you get an injury or something that stops you being able to run it's just like it catches up with you that shadow yeah but that wasn't the first that was the first injury wasn't Mm. it yeah where did that sit in relation to um to your incredible marathon result in Canberra when yeah. you won. So I ran Canberra in April of that year, and that was the most amazing day of my life. It was really, I yeah. It was an extraordinary run. It was. It was like I think I amazed in myself. I, but I sort of that was the one day where I sort of had that full belief. I knew, like I knew before I started the run that I was going to win and I was going to run well. <laughs> that morning I said to, I told Trent that I was going to win and yeah. So where where do you reckon that came from? Was that after you ran the Tassie Trail as well? Yeah. 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 Was that part of it? I think it was. I think I just knew that I had that strength to just keep going, even when it was like it was so tough. Like the last day of Tassie Trail was um, like so hard, and I knew that I got through that, and I sort of whatever happened, I knew that I could sort of dig in and just go. Can you can you just for those people? who will be listening, um, describe what the Tassie Trail Challenge was that you did because it's pretty huge. So um, there's this uh, trail that's been marked through the middle of Tasmania pretty much. It goes from where you get off the uh, Spirit of Tas in Devonport and there's a finish point down in Dover. Um, And some of it's it's sort of a combination of road and fire trail and paddock bashing I guess (laughs) really um yeah and we did it from we started at the bottom down in Dover and ran the whole trail it's about 500 k's all the way up to the end it took us six days that's it that's huge yeah that's absolutely huge what was the longest distance you'd run before that in one in one go, go. Uh, probably a marathon <laughs> yeah and so wh- whose dream was it to run the trail uh, um it was it's one of Pete's crazy things <laughs> so him and Cameron who was the other guy who did it with us they'd done from um, north down south about three years before that so Peter had always wanted to do it the other way. And so he sort of, I think the year before he put out an email to a group of us and sort of said, okay, who's in? This is what we want to do. We're going to do it sort of early 2016. And a few of us put our hands up and then a few people pulled out, but the three of us were the three who ended up on this trail. And And was it always part of the plan to see how fast you could do it? Like to break was it that was a record, wasn't it? Yeah, I think not many people had actually done it before, and most people do it 
like on horseback or on bikes that's what it's sort of that's what it was sort of built for yeah um so not many not many people have done it on foot um we're also trying to see if we can there's a, some rumor of doing it in the future and trying to do it in five days, but oh <laughs> we'll see how we go with that. Yeah. Yeah. So. So what was the longest day you had to put together on that event? Um, so our last three days were all a hundred plus Ks. I think the last day ended up including the time that we got lost for a couple of hours because we went the wrong way. Um, was probably about 120 k's that I don't know we didn't sort of our watches didn't last <laughs> the whole day and um it took us we started about five in the morning and we finished right on midnight wow night. so we were finishing in the dark going through these paddocks and trying to climb over barbed wire fences and <laughs> yeah was... wow that is absolutely extraordinary and so how did you recover after that like did you did you purposely take a lot of time out? When did you get back into training? What what, what did it feel like <laughs> trying to recover from something that? Oh, uh, it was crazy. I think as soon as we stopped, my whole body just went like I just need to sleep. <laughs> and I, Pete reckons that I was just, I was asleep as soon as I touched the pole. Like because there's a photo of us touching the pole as we finished because Peter Wheatley was um there waiting for us and um taking photos and he reckons he's like your eyes are closed in that photo I'm like I wasn't asleep then but we <laughs> sat down I sat down in the gutter when we were about before we got in the car we were sort of like taking our shoes off and stuff and I pretty much was asleep then <laughs> and pretty much could not stay awake the whole way home so we got home at drove home that night and got home at about 4 a.m slept for most of the day but the next day I was my biggest achievement was being able to put shoes on because <laughs> my everything was just like swollen and sore so it took probably didn't run didn't even try to run for at least a week after that I think the next time I tried to run was like Wednesday night we went up to see a few people at Marston and did a couple of really really slow laps and felt horrible running around the oval but yeah it took a long while even when I was sort of back doing running you could sort of feel it sort of you just didn't have that speed your legs yeah. were just like no nah, can't do this so it took it did take a while but <coughs> but then so if that was so what month was that that was that was um the middle of February so by April you ran two hours 46 minutes for a marathon yeah that's enormous yeah so you must have been able to get back into training at some point in that interim in those two yeah. months I think a couple of weeks after the we finished Tessie Trail I think I actually ran the state track champs and I did uh, 1500 meters in a 5k and actually managed to come forth in the 1500 which was amazing I ran about five minutes which was close to my best time for that mm. distance because that's quite a short one for me. Yeah. And the 5K, the 5K was a struggle, but I still did like 18 minutes, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was probably crazy and a bit silly, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I did get back into training probably reasonably quickly after that, sort of. And so you, were there any alarm bells at all through that period or 
you know, through your marathon and the recovery after the marathon, was there any alarm bells that were telling you it was coming close to the edge or did you just sort of feel like you're on that superhuman pathway? <laughs> it seems like from here it's like extraordinary what you were achieving. Yeah, no, I definitely, I felt like amazingly good, like almost too good, I think, after that. And definitely after the marathon, I felt great. Like the next week, like literally I ran the marathon on the Sunday and my training week, I think I had Monday off. But then the next six days after that, I ran 100Ks for the week. My wow. next, the next Sunday, I my long run, which was only supposed to be about 18Ks, but I was with Pete and another mate, and he was, uh, Mick was running, training for um, Great Ocean Road for the ultra. I think it was the first year they were doing the 60K. So he needed a really long run. And so he was struggling a little bit and instead of turning I was supposed to turn at about it's like 10k and go back and they were going to keep going and I ended up keeping running and so I think I ran like another 42k run that morning which was probably not the smartest thing but I was kind of like oh I just want to see if I can do this and see and I felt pretty good I was like oh actually this isn't bothering me at all which Probably looking back, it's not the smartest thing, but <laughs> I felt like I was feeling good, and so I and I did feel really good through that whole sort of training period. I think I had one race in May where I felt really shit and wasn't great, but other than that, everything else was going well. I was on the up. I was on track to. The plan was to do Melbourne and mm-hmm. try and go for like a 240. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was definitely on track for that. I was back into my tempo runs and all that sort of stuff and on track. And it wasn't until probably maybe a week or so before um, Gold Coast I started feeling a bit, a bit tired and just a bit flat. And I was like, oh, this isn't great, but mm. I probably just need a bit more sleep. But... Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't yeah. so there wasn't any huge major alarm bells that I even looking back I can't not around that time. Yeah, really. And so um you've you've written quite openly about um amenorrhea and and the fact that you were also under quite a lot of stress as shift work and yeah. <laughs> um were any of those alarm bells present through this time? Like when did when did the amenorrhea start for you? Um, so when I, I started on the pill when I was probably 18 mm-hmm. and so I was still on the pill. I stopped taking that in at the end of 2013, just probably around the time that I started training with Pete, just something in my brain was saying that it wasn't, it was making, oh, it was, I had some theory that it was, that was what was making me feel so crap and upset and not working for my guts and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff which in hindsight it probably wasn't that but so I stopped taking yeah. that and I'm about three months later I think I still hadn't got my period back and so I went to the doctor and he's like well that's can be normal you know it sometimes it takes a little while 
especially if you've been on it on the pill for a while and i was like okay he's like wait if you still haven't got it back in six months then six months well three months from now six months after you've taken it stop taking it then come back and we might have to look into it a bit more so i think in july which was after i got back after i ran my second marathon i went back and got sent to the gynecologist and they were like oh so they sent me for an ultrasound and blood test just to make sure there wasn't any other sort of reason like a tumor or anything like that Mm. and came back and got the results and he's like no everything sort of looks normal but you like hormones are really low so he said basically gave me two options of go back on the pill for the estrogen to protect your bones Mm -hmm. or um run a little bit less and eat a little bit more (laughs) and i was like well i don't really like either of those options but i said i would go back on the pill and i think i went back on them he's like i was like but i was worried i didn't want to go back on the same one he's like okay we'll try this different one so i think i took it for like two weeks and then went yeah i don't really want to do this Mm. so i stopped and didn't even get like a withdrawal bleed or anything from Mm. that so that should have probably been my first sign that you know this is really not good yeah (laughs) Um, but i kind of went well somehow i managed to normalize it in my head and go well lots of elite runners don't get their period so which is true so i must be just doing something right i must be you know training at the right level to be an elite runner so you know i won't worry about it i don't want kids especially well definitely not yet so we'll worry about (laughs) worry about it later yeah but be right like it's actually normal in in the elite certainly in the elite distance running world of women that i went through it was very normal um it was almost seen as a blessing because you didn't have to worry about it when you went to try and perform and race yeah. and do your hard training and keep up with the boys and it it was normal yeah um so i you know certainly experienced it for a lot longer than you did too so i think i read about four and a half years for you but um mine crept up towards nine years on and off yeah and the thing is like as we've both come to realize it's not so much about body weight but it's about stress levels and energy expenditure basically yeah yeah so so fast forward then to this recent injury so after after you had your first stress fracture in your sacrum you went back into your running again yeah so i had about 10 weeks off running and then i sort of started building back in it was i was very careful at first and we were back in and it was hard because i was like i'm so unfit (laughs) but then i and i thought i'd sort of started it I had started eating a little bit more and I was like, okay, because I've been working with a dietitian, and so I brought my calories up a little bit, gained a little bit of weight, but my period still hadn't come back and I kind of went, oh, but I'm still eating more. So it's okay. Maybe it'll just take a little bit more. But then I sort of started pushing back into my running training and I did push back probably a little bit quicker than what I should have. I think I ran a half marathon probably about 
five weeks after I'd started a decent training load and I couldn't walk for about three days after that. And I was yeah. like, wow, I have not been this sore after a race in years. But but then I guess like, I mean, my brain, my old brain would have like reveled in that. Like, oh, this feels so good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. It was like, wow. And I was so excited just to be back out running and racing and yeah, yeah. And I was like so convinced that, oh, now I've recovered from this and I'm eating, I'm eating more. I still, I was convinced that I was eating heaps, but it really wasn't really enough. And I still was keeping my carbs very low. And so I pushed back and so, and by March I was sort of up to, I did about three weeks at a hundred Ks a week. And then I got this, I got the flu and I kept pushing through the weekend. And then on the next day, I went to do a hard run at the track with Pete and another friend. And I just felt this pain in my groin. And I think I ended up sitting on the sideline for most of the session and just crying because I was like, something's not right. But it took probably a month four or five weeks before I actually finally got diagnosed with another stress fracture. Um, and during that time I had, I had an MRI and it got missed on that scan. And so I went back to the physio and he's like, okay, maybe it's just tendonitis. We'll just build you up a bit slowly. And so I kept trying to run, kept trying to run. And it got to the point where I was in a lot of pain and I went back I'd been for a run, like a training, running training session and after that I couldn't walk and I, I was like, shit, I have to go to the physio. Like I had my physio appointment straight after that and I was like, how am I going to fake it that I can actually, I'm actually not in that much pain, but I couldn't even, I, he's like, hop. And I was like, I can't. And he's like, right, have three days off and see if you can run again. So I had like three or four days off and I, ran about 800 meters and I went, no, this is not working. So I called and went to see a different physio and she's like, okay, this isn't right. Go and see if they can relook at the MRI or whatever. So I went and talked to the radiologist. Again, it's like, it's quite lucky that I actually work where I do for me. It's worked out quite well. And they were like, okay, let's just do another quick scan to see if there's anything there and he, there was like a really high signal in the bone which signifies that there's some sort of stress reaction so he's like I want to do some more imaging so I managed they managed to squeeze me back in and in between patients did these scans and there was a massive crack right through the um inferior pubic bone which oh, is wow. like where you yeah. like your sit bone yeah um I went back to, I got off the table and I went back down to the radiologist and one of the regs were sitting there looking at the pictures with the doctor. He's looked at me and he's gone, how are you still walking? I'm like, well, actually, it's okay when I walk. It's just when I try and run. Um, wow. Yeah, so then I was on, um, that was just before Easter, like two years ago. Um, and so then I got put on crutches for five weeks. So I was, had couple of weeks completely non-weight bearing on that leg and a couple of weeks with like I could partially weight bear so I had a couple of weeks off work and then went straight back to work but I couldn't do much I was like sitting in the chair doing mm. 
much. So during that time, that's when I sort of went, okay, I've actually got to work and try and fix this because um, obviously there's something wrong. And I think before I'd had that injury, I'd had a bone density scan um, and that it showed that I was slightly osteopenic. So mm-hmm. my bone density was lower than what it should have been, but not bad enough to be osteoporotic. So I was like, right. I've really got to fix this mm. and the way to fix it I sort of went well I've got to get my period back yeah um because I need that those hormones to fix my bones and yeah from there it sort of wow it's been such a such a highs and lows and a long journey hasn't it like um but so I guess what I'm really fascinated then by is um it's kind of one thing to like, it's almost like you had your call to action. Yeah. <laughs> You'd been in your ordinary world, which was big K's. And I mean, I just told like everything that you say, I'm sitting here nodding my head going, you feel invincible. You feel like the world's your oyster. Like you're just on this trajectory and that's your ordinary world. Yeah. And then you get this call to action that's like, honey, something needs to change (laughs) for me um turning 30 was as (laughs) random as that like nothing was wrong if anything I was like I love birthdays (laughs) and I was just itching for this birthday and I'd been doing this um 30 peaks before I turned 30 in the year so I had one to go so I was so excited about, you know, the day of my 30th birthday, I was going to go and climb a peak. And it coincided with the, the bushfires in Tasmania. And um, a friend came in who's a wilderness photographer and in his 60s, I think. And he, he said that he would love to show me what had been going on up in the, in the alpine areas and these bushfires, which is just unheard of in Tasmania. And um, we were up in this landscape. I did my last peak. And we just looked out across this, like, devastation. And that was my call to action. And I I don't even... I couldn't even understand what was going on, but I suddenly felt like my whole life was unravelling. It was like this life that I'd built around racing and travelling all over the world and all these awesome opportunities and then coming face-to-face with him saying, this is climate change and this isn't a problem for our kids, this is a problem for us. And I was just like... Like, what am I doing? I feel like I'm living this virtuous life. And and that, for me, was the start. That was my call to action at the beginning. And then it went on from there. And my second call to action was walking into um into a doctor's surgery. I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, so apologies to anyone who's heard it before. But I, but I walked into this doctor's surgery and um, with the exact same concern. Like, I need to get my period back. Like, I'm now over the age of 30. I don't know if we want to have kids, but I need to, like, deal with this. Otherwise, I'm going to be a crippled old lady one day. And um, I expected her to, like, whip out some needles and do some blood tests like everyone does. And she just looked me up and down. I hadn't even sat down yet. And she just turned to me and said, Honey, you need to find your femininity. (laughs) And I was just like, my what? <laughs> like, I'd rocked up in, like, 
little bike shorts and tank top and I just and I'd always prize prize myself on being like this sort of fairly tomboyish personality and I'm keeping up with the boys and it was just um it just kind of was like a snowball effect from there and um catapulted me into the trials and tribulations of becoming a woman effectively and um so anyway I went on a ramble that's my story (laughs) but your call to action was was injury it sounds like so where did you start? Like, uh, well, I didn't really know where to start. I just, and amazingly, sort of at the same time, uh, something pop- popped up somehow on my Facebook page. It was this article about um, this British runner who was living in the US, um, Tina Muir, and basically she had just come out and said, and was talking about she was quitting running because she hadn't had her period for nine years and she wanted to get her period back. And her goal was obviously to have kids, but basically saying, look, this is not normal, it's not healthy for women to have not have their period for that long. And she's like, I just, my body doesn't want to run anymore for now. And basically that's how I so I went through read all her stuff and I was like wow someone else is sort of going through the similar thing to what I'm going through and from her she talked about how she'd found um his author Nicola Rinaldi who'd also been through I mean she wasn't a runner but she'd gone through like a similar thing where she was trying to have kids and she'd lost her period because she was playing lots of I think she was playing ice hockey and doing crossfit and that sort of stuff and going on like this crazy diet like like weight loss program stuff and she yeah and she done she has done a PhD so she had done all this research about amenorrhea and she's written a book so I found her book and read all that stuff and basically just went okay we've just got to eat so she sort of says you have to eat a minimum of like two and a half thousand calories a day and I was going wow that's like I thought oh I'm doing pretty good but that was really hard and you think oh it shouldn't be that hard to just eat food but it really was and it's so I just went okay she talks about going all in where you just sort of have to throw in and just do everything stop stop exercising stop and just eat and so I did I was still exercising I was on crutches so I wasn't really doing much but I was going to the pool and I think I was swimming for like half an hour a few days a week just to try and get myself moving because I could sit on the couch (laughs) yeah Yeah. um but yeah I ate and put on weight a lot very quickly which was really really hard and really uncomfortable and I felt horrible and gross but I was like, no, I've got to do this. So I had talked to a lot of pe- a few people who were really close to me. My best friend Jess and Pete, who's my running coach, mm. and Trent, and he was really supportive. So Trent and Pete were probably my main support. And Jess, whenever I sort of was like, I can't do this, I'd sort of message one of them, or Trent would be around, and he'd be like, Yep, sorry, we're gonna have this for dinner you're going to eat this. And I sort of went, okay, fine. And my period came back really quickly after that. 
it was like I think it was about five weeks the same day I sort of got off the crutches my period came back and I was sort of like crazy because I thought it oh this is going to take ages but yeah when I and it was there and I was like almost had that sick feeling in my stomach like Mm. what am I doing (laughs) but like it was kind of like oh I don't know if I really want this but yeah and I think it's just from there and I found from those two I found all these like support groups so other girls going through the same thing from Nicola like that Nicola Rinaldi's group has started um so you, you go on there and you chat and they're all going through the same things and it's it's so great like when you're going through that it did get to a point where I sort of had to step away for a bit because it was getting a bit much and it was sort of like that was my whole focus because yeah. you sort of go from having your runnings your identity and then you f- switch your focus to this and it's like that's what you're focusing on that cut becomes sort of your whole life but yeah it's been great and I found her and then I found Jill from a case of the Jills and she, she has like her own YouTube channel I love which that. is amazing <laughs> like she just does all these videos and she is so um she, she doesn't <laughs> yeah she doesn't um sugarcoat anything really she'll tell you how it is and I sort of started emailing her and we had a few exchanges back and forth and I'd email her and ask for advice or tell her that I'm doing something well and sometimes I'd say I'd tell her like oh I think I'm doing really well at this and she'd send back these questions of going yes but what about this and this and this and I think this and you'd sort of go oh okay but like I found it great to be able to actually talk to someone who actually sort of understood and for me a lot of the girls in the group were trying to get their periods back because they wanted to get pregnant whereas there I didn't that wasn't my main goal my main goal was to get my period back to get healthy and protect my bones so I didn't get any more stress fractures so I could go back to running and for my heart health and my brain health which is all these things that you don't sort of realize and no one sort of tells you is linked to your hormones absolutely i i sort of didn't realize i was like oh well i don't want to have kids so it doesn't matter if i don't have period but there's all these other other health issues that no one sort of says okay this is actually important for other reasons not just yeah 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 for me it reached a point when I just realized that um, I couldn't I couldn't find gentleness with myself and in my relationships I felt always felt edgy always felt a bit flat um, a bit almost <laughs> masculine in in like and, and without putting the boys down but like yeah sort of like aggressive towards life like I was just all in head first and um, the more I read the more I realized that the female hormones particularly were really important for that sense of not stableness because you pitch around like a bad thing when you actually have hormones but but just um yeah gentleness and like I, I can't can't even find the words for it but I just knew that it, that was missing for me and I 
I didn't know what self-compassion meant and I couldn't find self-compassion. And it wasn't really till I got my hormones back that I was like, oh, now I can find self-compassion. It was like, I think the progesterone is really important for that. And then I also realized that by not having female hormones, it actually meant that I also didn't have a lot of the testosterone growth hormone at all. And women do do have it as well. And that was a huge part for healing injuries. And I was getting all these like little niggles or um, Graham and I'd go off for a mission together and get carried away. And a few days later, I'd sort of ask him how he was going. And, and this is my husband and he, he doesn't, he doesn't really train. In fact, no, he doesn't train. <laughs> we'll just put it out there. He doesn't train. He will play occasionally. But um, he's just one of those annoying people who can get off the couch and just go and run down the overland track for 60 <laughs> And he'd, he'd say, um, yeah, no, no, I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm really, I'm really good. And he'd be bouncing all over the retail floor and I'd be like a cripple. And like, I'm like, this is just not, this isn't fair. And then I realized that it was fair. Um, it was that I wasn't able to look after myself and so it really wasn't until I like you started to really focus on wholesome nutrition and um, giving my body as, as many nutrients as I could and backing off I guess expectation more than volume like I just took the pedal off and, and the pressure off myself and, um, and things started to come together for me at that point. So I'm kind of curious then when you reflect on your journey, would you would you take the same approach now that you know a lot, you've gone back and studied nutrition as well? Like, I guess if some girl came up to you and said, hey, I want to get my period back, I want to get healthy, I want to avoid injury and, and achieve my best, like, what advice would you give them now? Um, yeah, that's interesting. Because I often think, well, if I hadn't gone as crazy, then maybe it would have taken longer, but also maybe my body would have not, like, I wouldn't have had that change so quickly, like, physically, like, feeling, Mm. getting bigger, like, gaining a lot of weight. Maybe if I'd done it a bit slower, my body would have had more of a chance to catch up, but at the same time... I just needed to go headfirst into it because otherwise I wasn't going to make the change. I sort of tried a few times and it was I was just ready. Mm. So I think – but I think the main thing is to do what feels right to you. I know a lot of girls who've done it slowly and it's taken a while. Some girls it doesn't take much at all for them to, to make that change. And – but really, I think the key thing is learning to rest, like just de-stressing mm. and taking that pressure off and yeah. Yeah. making sure you've got that energy available to actually do your daily activities as well as like any extra exercise mm. that you want to do. That's really, really important. And if you've been, if you do have memory of you had it for a while, it's going to take your body a while to sort of go um, of eating enough to for your body to actually and resting for your body actually to trust that you're going to keep doing it. So sometimes it might take a while for it to kick in and go. Okay, yep. So we're get, we're going to work in properly because 
we don't have to sort of save everything in case it doesn't keep yeah. coming. So, I and think- it's not just about getting it back. It's about getting to a point where you're just so calm and happy and confident in yourself. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, that is the, that should be the primary goal. Yeah. And I get why you threw yourself completely in and I applaud you for it because you, like you say, you were just ready. You were ready to get to the bottom of the hole and get rid of the shadow. Um, and from where I see it, it really, it sort of really seems that you found that. And for me, I did as well. Like I had to, um, I had spent a lot of, a lot of time working with a mentor who is trained in NLP and hypnosis and coaching and did a lot of like, and, and then writing the book as well and like coming to terms with stuff in my past and realizing that yes, once and for all, I had an eating disorder. I probably still had it. I had to, had to effectively deal with that and get that completely off the table <laughs> um, and move well and truly beyond it. And, and so, and even before that happened, like, yeah, I'd got my period back, but I still wasn't healthy. Yeah. I still wasn't who I really needed to, to be and to grow into. Yeah. Um, and accepting womanhood for really what it was and that breasts aren't a negative and yes, maybe they're not as comfortable to run with, but they're beautiful and being a woman is a, is a beautiful thing and you don't have to identify as a tomboy all the time and like had to make, make that shift and... So, yeah, I, I kind of really applaud you <laughs> and then for speaking up about it. Yeah. And I think for me, getting the period back was probably the easy part and then all the rest of it and dealing with the rest of it, that took a long, long time after that. But I think that was the most important sort of first step to sort of go, okay, that's a problem. And then once you've sort of fixed that, you sort of have enough energy, your body sort of starts letting you deal with the rest of it. Because yes. it's like, yes, okay, I'm not scared that we're going to die and not get any food. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah. You, your brain will actually start working again. And I didn't realise how much I'd sort of, my my brain and my, so everything had just narrowed to just running and food. And that was pretty much it. And I shut a lot of really important people out. Yeah. And not intentionally, and I didn't feel, I didn't recognize that I was doing it, but especially train like, there wasn't a lot of time for him, like, and I think that was really hard, and I didn't recognize that until a long time afterwards, and, mm. yeah, even though I wanted to spend time with him, it was just like, no, he'd come close to me, and I'd sort of push him away, because for no reason, like, no logical reason, I'd snap at him for oh, you didn't do the dishes yesterday or something ridiculous. And he could, I felt like, he probably felt like he could never do anything right, which I really feel bad about. (laughs) And it's taken me a long time to sort of recognise that, okay, that wasn't really me. That was this other... The friend that I talked about, this best friend who's vying for your attention all the time i can i can hear how how much emotion gets wrapped up in that and i completely empathize and i would never wish it on anyone and 
you but you do you go in there's only really three things in your world there's food running and to be honest for me it was anorexia for sure like it wasn't that i didn't eat i just didn't eat enough yeah and then as it got worse you limit and limit and limit and find more rules and you become more focused on your rules and that takes up all of your brain energy yeah Yeah, Yeah. that was exactly exactly it it was like i was either running or i was thinking about when i was going to exercise what i needed to eat what i could eat what i was allowed like how much i could eat when i could eat so that i could exercise enough to burn it off or not or time it right so that it wouldn't upset my stomach while i was running or whatever yeah and i if i couldn't even like sit down like i was doing busy all the time and i'd sit down at night like probably about 11 o'clock she turned it on to watch a tv show or something and I'd sit down and i'd be asleep within like five minutes because i just didn't have the energy to stay awake i even i think a couple of times when i was at work and oh because i was only sleeping probably like five six hours a night which is crazy when you're running 150k weeks and doing like at least an hour at the gym every day as well on top of that and working full time it's just ridiculous and i would sit at work in front of the scanner and i'd be sitting there and i wouldn't be able to concentrate and i'd sort of be like falling asleep i know i remember one day sitting there and i was like just about nodding off and i know that um one of the other radiographers was sitting next to me just sort of looking at me going you all right <laughs> I'm like, yep, fine, I'm awake. <laughs> I'm like, that's so bad. But yeah. Yeah. So how how have you changed your training now? And um, yeah, yeah. How, how's that changed? And do you think your coach has grown through this as well? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he's been there with me through the whole process. And we're both sort of teaching each other, I think. And he's been amazingly supportive. And we he's like, right, every time we go through like a new sort of up and down, he'll be like, right, okay, we're going to change something. He's like, and we just discuss it. And he's like very open to working with changes. So at the moment we're sort of had to back off a little bit. I had a little bit of a sore leg over in January, sort of, which coincided with a few other stressful things that just I just needed to back off my training a bit. But now we're very much make sure I get the recovery. That's like the big focus. Um, if I'm feeling a bit shit, then we'll say, okay, have an extra day off or go for an easy run. But he's very much sort of like periodization. So he's like, I think our big thing for now is making sure that I have at least a period during the year where I completely just take the pressure off and back off the training and not have a program and only sort of exercise if I feel like it just to get that physical and mental um yeah de-stress sort of time and do you have weeks frequently where you totally deal like you take the pressure off and it's all just easy or are you still sort of similar training structure to before? Um, we sort of played around a bit, I think. We 
this at the moment we're sort of in a I'm still on sort of lower lower volume so putting and we're just working a bit more of the intensity back in and because it's we've started cross-country season so that sort of adds in a mm. ra- the racing element which I'm really enjoying at the moment which is in a way that I haven't in a long time <laughs> and it's really good so we're sort of just playing around with that and keeping an eye on not jumping the volume and intensity up too much at the moment just really sort of playing by a feel at the moment I'm sort of looking at um training sort of in with like to fit in with my cycle because mm. that's um Tracy Stim Stims uh Stacy Sims St- yeah, yeah. she's say. written a book Look, called Raw and yeah. she's done a PhD basically studying female athletes and how to train around your hormones and how it affects your performance and at different times so it's a, it's a really really definitely worth the read for any sort of mm. female athletes i think because a lot of the nutritional and training information that we get is all started they always study men because mm. i think a lot of people easy. go females are too hard that's what she found she's like this is all just it's all based on men because it's too hard to study females because of their hormones but it, that's actually really important so mm. yes so i'm um, working with that and finding how that works and just playing with a few things it's interesting that's where that's something i've been thinking about a lot as well yeah because i've always trained athletes on a three-week cycle so two de- two weeks where you, you're picking up your intensities and it's sort of much more like a typical training training program yeah and then the third week you're backing it off and getting ready to go out and play long because obviously I work more with the trail runners and I'm ultra marathon athletes but having said that I like see its application in any sport yeah. you know so in the end of that week a swimmer could be you know doing their race simulations and really understanding like where they're at after they've had a good rest and recovery and it it really does seem to work but then when I came across her work I started thinking about well a three-week cycle is like the right sort of rotation or should it be should it be four yeah 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 interesting yeah um so do you mind me asking i guess as we sort of finish up like where where like where would you love to go now with your running like what's the mean to you now um yeah yeah i think at the moment the most important thing is to keep keep the joy in the running and just really have that like keep finding that spark of joy and just doing what I love but also I've as I said I'm really enjoying racing and that's I've always in a way enjoyed the racing I've got that I still feel that competitive side but at the moment I feel I think it's really good because I don't feel like my self-worth or my identity is wrapped up in how I'm performing and like whether I'm winning races so it's given me a lot more freedom even in training taking the pressure off going you know what if I don't quite hit that target number that we would it doesn't doesn't really matter it's all about the effort and just having fun so I have a few goals still I still want to um work back and see if I can get back and improve my marathon time and cool. a few more things probably a few longer things I think cool the goal for this year is um 
Bruni Island Ultra. Oh, that's so good. good on you. So that's my big goal for this year. And then we'll try and keep working on the speed thing. But also that's obviously only going to keep going as long as I'm enjoying it. And if I get to a point where I decide that that's not really one, what's making me happy, then we'll just find something else. <laughs> But in honesty, do you see that happening no. now? That, yeah, no, now that I, now that I'm back, and just yeah, it I just love it and the camaraderie and stuff is really important as well. And yeah, I the, today has just been. It's I, I mean I don't it's like a parent saying they have favorite children and I probably shouldn't say I have favorite guests and favorite podcasts <laughs> and conversations but honestly it's been one of my favorites because it's just been so real and there's such a positivity in your story as much as there's been hardship and challenge and um and definitely as, as I've mentioned a couple of times like you can empathize with with the the challenge of really like finding it all for the right reasons and putting away some of the shadows in their boxes yeah. and closing the lid on it and going never again um but you know you can just see the sparkle that comes from you now (laughs) when you talk about what you're doing and you're running and and the goals and adventures that you no doubt have bucket lists of them yeah yeah so um thank you like so much and i'll put a link to your to your little blog i know you don't post on it super frequently it's you but when you do write you write with such honesty and and so much beauty in that and i really would encourage people to have a have a look at you and um and your writing so thank you so much for like stepping up and and finding that vulnerability to, to share your story because like we said you know it is sadly it is quite normal yeah in the ultra um and in any of the running worlds and it was really confronting for me as a young athlete coming through that and it was it was why I hung up my um my road running shoes in 2009 because it became so confronting that I didn't know how to deal with it it was it was coming from coaches it was coming from other athletes and in the Australian scene and and it does need to change yeah that acceptance of of body being light yeah (laughs) yeah being light and fast so um yeah so thank you so much you're welcome thanks for having me so much fun (laughs)